instalment of A Link to the Cast. I'm Mark Robinson. With me, as always, from across the pond is Dave Ryan. And Dave Ryan, as I look outside the window and I look at what this glorious July summertime has to offer me, which is an abundance of rain, I ask if you are suffering a similar fate back home at the moment. Yes, well, it's uh, the the one word description for our weather right now is grey. Yeah. Uh, as I was saying off air, we have kind of uh, alternating showers and uh, to make things even worse, a very high pollen count. Is that alternating so, showers of just a light rain and then a heavy rain? Yes. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, pretty much got that as alternating well. Alternating between sunny and showery, like we had a couple of weeks ago. No, it's just between rainy and less rainy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. Um... Yeah, it's it's the summertime around here. It's what we do. Well, that has been has been quite nice for the last couple of weeks, to be fair. Um, yeah, I, I, I still, in spite of the the weather, had a nice week. You know, I got to see the Ant Man. I did see the Ant Man. I'm, 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 I'm. I enjoyed it. I feel that it really. It's very much that kind of placeholder film between pivotal events that happened before and after. And uh, it's definitely not the most kind of self-referential Marvel film to date. And it's like, yeah, you're going to be a really key kind of character going forward. But for this, it's just a weird little film that's been slotted into the Marvel universe. Yeah, to me, it's like the the nice dessert to the sizable main course of the Avengers. I like to think of it as the Garlic Junior Saga of the Dragon Ball Z series, but that's just me. Uh, no, I I enjoyed it very much. Like instead of the grand kind of almost too epic spectacle that Age of Ultron was, it was a nice antidote. It was a very kind of simple heist film by comparison. Yeah, I think it's they, they're going to alternate because I imagine that Civil War will be very much on the grand epic scale of things, and they'll just kind of go back and forth between the two sort of themes and motives and moods, just to not completely bum us out when everyone starts dying. And I feel as well, Ant-Man had that thing that uh, the first Thor movie had, that whenever kind of the first Thor movie was dragging, now obviously the first Thor movie is a lot worse than Ant-Man, because I really enjoyed Ant-Man, but uh, whenever the Thor movie was dragging, it was great to have uh, Tony Hopkins there to kind of chew some scenery. Yeah. And kind of similarly, it's great that whenever the movie is in danger of dragging or anything like that, it's like, oh yeah, Michael Douglas is in this, and Michael Douglas is a great man. Yeah, he... I haven't really seen anything of his lately. I don't even know what he's done lately, but... He's I... not really done a lot lately. No, no. Last time I heard, I swear, like, years ago, he was in very poor health, and I thought he was, he was, he was very much on the downswing of, of, kind of cancer, life in yeah. general. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, fair enough. That that would be a, that'd be an unfortunate thing to get, but he he, he kind of rocked, he rocked, the, rocked the show here. He did... I was, I was digging old Douglas. He... Yeah, himself and Michael Pena as well, um, as one of the kind of uh, Scott Lang's sidekicks, uh, stole the show, really, the two of them. Yeah. Um, very much enjoyed them. And, I have to uh, say... It's a lot more than I thought I was going to, because the trailers really did the movie that it turned out to be a disservice. Because I was going into it thinking, this is going to be the first one that I properly, properly don't like the entire way through the hype, and the movie turns out to not be good either. Unlike, you know, there have been movies in the Marvel Universe I haven't liked before, like Thor or Iron Man 3, but at least the trailers made me feel like I was going to enjoy them. I got tricked into spending my money. Yeah, but I think there is a difference between a bad comic book film and just a bad film in general, and Iron Man 3 is just a bad film all round. I don't want to talk about Iron Man 3. This will be 
this podcast will be two hours long if I was to go into my feelings on it's, Iron Man 3. It's, it's a glorious train wreck. Um, I have one other question for you. What do you feel about Jeremy Irons as Alfred? Because I wasn't expecting that. Sorry, what was that? What do, what do you feel about Jeremy Irons as Alfred? That that kind of threw me. I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Jeremy Irons, I, I like it uh, because he seems like the um, kind of Alfred. I think it's the Earth 2 Alfred from the, uh, the, the comic book continuity, where it's an Alfred that has seen sh- some shit and is willing to get his hands dirty. Okay, that's... Kind of stuff, rather than the traditional stuffy English butler of the kind of the older films. I think my problem is I've seen Die Hard 3 one too many times. <laughs> that's that's just your problem in general. Wait, <laughs> I don't really classify it as a problem. <laughs> I feel my life is more cultured and enriched for seeing Die Hard 3 at least 45 times. <laughs> Fair enough to each their own, I suppose. Same on sense. My, it, it wouldn't be, be my uh, go-to Die Hard film to watch 45 times, but, you know, whatever. Oh, believe me, I've seen the first one at least 85 times, so, you know. <laughs> anyway, that, that, that as we talk about sense. how I waste my life, uh, Dave, what have you been playing over the last week or so? Uh, I've been playing a few bits and pieces here and there. First things first, uh, I'm going to give my update on my quest for the Platinum, the uh, the Platinum in Arkham Knight. Excellent plan words, well done. 10 out of 10. Uh, n- not going wonderfully. Uh, I'm about 90, maybe 80 trophies, Riddler trophies, short of 100% completion on my first playthrough. Um, And I go and find out that there's a couple of trophies, Riddler trophies, that are completely glitched. Oh, good. Yes. So I nearly wept, thinking I was going to have to do New Game Plus and get the nearly 200 trophies I'd already picked up over again. Now, luckily enough, uh, apparently when you start New Game Plus, the trophies carry over. So I can just collect them, collect whatever is left, rather than having to start from zero that, That's again. what we call good video game design. Yeah, uh, because I, anybody, like if that had been the case where I had to start from zero again, I just would have chucked it in. There's no way was I like, going through that heartache. I, I'd already made my decision that Riddler can stay locked in that fucking basement for all I care. <laughs> You, you're, you've long since left him buried under that orphanage. I do not care if his oxygen supply runs out. I had no interest in fighting him in his fucking big daddy suit. No interest whatsoever. <laughs> well, I'm still, uh, I'm still staying the course for now. At least I'll have to play. I'll have to beat him on my new game plus rather than uh, kind of play him now because I'm going to be at least two trophies short on this playthrough. But uh, what are you going to do? Got to play a little. Haven't played a lot of it this uh, week because, well, one, I've been sucked really badly into The Witcher, and I feel that we'll we'll save my proper big talk of The Witcher for maybe next week or something like that, or whenever we don't have a lot to talk about, uh, because I have a lot of thoughts on The Witcher that I'm going to need to gather together because I've spent most of my week like neglecting to have meals because I've been so deep into The Witcher. Okay, I, I will have to, other things. I'll have to prepare myself for the next week to be interested in wanting to hear any of this. So between the two of us. Will be like, it's place. a great game. It is a, a look. It's a great game. Um, I have also played the Vanishing of Ethan Carter a little bit, which is um, on PS4 now, uh, not on Xbox. It's just on PS4, and it was already on PC. It came out late last year on PC, and this is kind of like this isn't um, Ethan Carter is in our current TNA world champ. I'm the correct, believe. No, we know we know where he is. He has not vanished yet. We're keeping an eye on him. Okay. Good. Uh, this is the Ethan Carter that vanished. Uh, you're playing. It's a kind of like it's a first person kind of puzzle psychological thriller sort of game. 
uh, where you play a detective called, I believe, Paul Prospero, who is tasked with kind of trying to figure out what happened to this Ethan Carter guy. Now, I'm not very far into it, and that is purely because, um, firstly, I feel like I've said this a couple of times since I started doing this podcast, but Vanishing of Ethan Carter on PS4 is arguably the most beautiful game I've ever seen on a console. Um, is that including like PT as well? And, and your it is right up there. Like it is right up there with PT uh, for me, anyway. Like in terms of like the, the the kind of the vistas and stuff of that being almost creepily photorealistic. Uh, so like you'll see if you go on to the link to the cast YouTube channel, plug 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 plug. Um, you'll see me doing uh, a ten or fifteen minute playthrough of just walking through. Now the the kind of the downscale that happens when you um, live stream in terms of the graphics really doesn't do justice to how pretty the game looks. But you can hear because it's basically 15 minutes of me just going, ooh, whenever I see anything pretty. <laughs> uh, now, the problem, as you might see in the stream, if you watch it, the problem, the reason I haven't played more of Ethan Carter is because for some reason, when I played it, uh, possibly because so much stuff is being kind of loaded in all at once, my PS4 went into meltdown and shut itself off to avoid overheating. So I've been kind of reticent to go back to it in case that is a recurring problem. Now, I chanced it for about 20 minutes there today while I was waiting around for you to come online, and it seemed to be okay. It might have been just a freak incident, or maybe because like I'd been playing the PS4 for several hours before that, so it was already quite warm. But um, yeah, that was kind of a scary moment. Uh, but it's kind of like it's... It's one of those kind of experiences I really am starting to dig this year where kind of you get into something that seems one way, but all is not what it seems. And kind of the way I can, and I don't think this gives away any of the plot because I'm not entirely sure what's going on yet because it <laughs> warns you, it warns you when you start the game that this is a puzzle game that, and I quote, does not hold your hand. You are just thrown in there. You're not given the controls you're only given vague ideas about what you're doing. You're not even told what direction you're supposed to walk in, really. Um, and I come across this thing during the live stream, you'll see, and it looks like kind of four lights on a pillar. And just through hitting those from being bored, um, I realized that there's a specific order all four of them need to be hit in. So I worked it out, got all four of them hit in the correct order. And once I hit that, there was kind of like a flash of light, and I turned around, and in the middle of this, it was in the woods near uh, an abandoned rail uh, railroad. There's just an astronaut standing there and looking at me. Right? Mm -hmm. So I start chasing the astronaut, because why not? And the astronaut starts teleporting. Now, bear in mind, I'm someone who sat down not knowing anything about this game and just thought this was a murder mystery game. And now I'm chasing a teleporting astronaut through the woods. So I'm chasing him for a couple of minutes, and you'll see on the, str on the stream, he kind of, like, he teleports away a little bit and then he's standing under a spaceship i'm like what the fuck so he gets beamed up into the spaceship and i'm kind of standing there wondering what the hell's going on and i run into the beam of the spaceship now unfortunately this is the point at which the stream shut off because the ps4 shut off but i booted it back up and tried it again to see what happens next at least and i got it all went very interstellar I got beamed up into the spaceship and all of a sudden I'm floating in space and I can see distant stars and galaxies and stuff like that. And it's all very, very pretty and stuff like that. And 
And then I turn around and there's just kind of like a ripped out page from a refill pad or something like that with a children's story about an astronaut on it. And I read that and all of a sudden I teleport back and I'm in a shack near the railroad again. Sounds like a really bad acid trip. It, it, it is. I felt like I was on all of the drugs. <laughs> but like I'm, I'm very intrigued by it. And it's got very good kind of Metacritic scores and people are saying very nice things about it. So like provided my PS4 behaves itself, that's something I'm going to dip back into um, a bit this coming week. Uh, enjoying the the intrigue of it so far and very much kind of like I may have run past several puzzles I'm going to need to go back to at this point because it really isn't like it it does not signpost anything I'm supposed to do at all I'm really supposed to find my own way in it Uh, something else I played this week and um, has arrived new on PS4 but uh, is a game that was previously released is Journey Um, from that game company Journey is a game that came out on PS3 had uh, wonderful scores and reviews thrown at its feet at the time, I believe it was IGN's Game of the Year for 2012 or 2013, whichever year it came out in, uh, but was something I never played on PS3. So I was like, oh, I'm going to see what this Journey game is all about. And it is... Um, I, I knew it was very, very pretty-looking game on PS3, but whew, that is a... It really is a journey. It... Uh, have you played Journey, Mark? I have played it to completion. Uh, I actually recorded myself playing it way back when, when it first came out, and uh, I fell in love with it pretty quickly, because there is a, a simplicity and elegance to that game that very few games can match. Yeah, it feels to me kind of like I like I was loving it, but I can understand as well that this is another one of those games, like we talked about her story last week, where it's a game that some people may see as not really being a game at all. Yeah, I... Uh... I can kind of see that, but it does depend on really what your definition of a game is. But yes, it's not something I, I. It's not something I go along with. But you know, they kind of like it doesn't have. It's not the game you think it's going to be when you play it. There's no, no enemies per se. There's no kind of like, you know what I mean? Standard gaming tropes or anything like that. But it is. It's it's wonderful. I'm loving it. Um, surprisingly emotional for a game that has no kind of like text. Or, oh yeah anything like that it's uh, fantastic uh, pretty sure i'm near completion on it like i played it for about an hour and a half and i'm get it seems i'm getting near the the top of the mountain at the end but i keep getting every time i try to sit down and play it i keep getting called away to do something else so hopefully i mean I it's a game it's a game you can kind of hammer through in about four hours and i do feel that the best way to do that game is just to block off like half a day and just play it in one sitting because um, you really get the feel of, you know, it, it's a game that the name really says what it is on the tin. It is a, a journey. Uh, and when you play it from beginning to end with no interruptions, you really get the full effect of the journey from the beginning in the desert to you make your way up to the top of the mountain. And, uh, yeah, I it's a game you can get really sucked into really quickly. And it's best played when you just kind of shut yourself off, just turn every distraction that you might have, tell your girlfriend to go away and... and go somewhere for the weekend and just 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 play it from fully immerse yourself in it and oh you will be rewarded yeah no i definitely recommend it so far just kind of the the atmosphere the music everything the the visuals all of it is really really i'm having a great time and like it's only i think about 12 euro on the on playstation now if you have a playstation plus account it's reduced and uh, as well which i think is a nice touch if you had a ps3 account uh, if you had a digitally bought and tied to your ps3 account you now get the ps4 download for free and you can also i, th- I think you can get the pack where you can get that flower and flow as well uh, which are the other uh, yeah you can only get that on ps3 still though can't uh, you? The pack. Okay. 
yeah i think just journey by itself is just out on ps4 now um i think flower got released on ps4 very early on as well but i don't think flow has arrived um so but still like if you had it purchased digitally you're getting it for free and even if you're not getting it for free it is kind of it's relatively cheap as far as games on the store go yeah so it's a well worth checking out and speaking of great value for money the final game i've been playing this week the game that has caught the world by storm rocket league um i wasn't expecting a lot from this uh it came out it dropped with the the ps plus games this month and whereas kind of like sometimes there are ps plus games that come out that really grab me that have a bit of hype behind them and stuff like this um like my my saga with Ether One early on earlier on in the year and the games before like Mercenary Kings and stuff like that hadn't really heard a lot about Rocket League. Then Rocket League comes out. Down I I like I I flag it uh, so that I have it in my library if I ever want to download it. And all of a sudden I start noticing the couple of days afterwards that my activity feed on PlayStation Four is just full of people playing Rocket League. And then I go onto YouTube and I look at all the gaming channels I've, I've subscribed to and everybody's doing a Let's Play of Rocket League. I look at Giant Bomb. Giant Bomb are doing a live stream where they're playing Rocket League with the, their offices on the East Coast. I'm looking everywhere and it's just Rocket League, Rocket League, Rocket League. So I download Rocket League. And it's a very simple premise. It's playing football with rocket cars. What is there not to like about that? And it's wonderful it's fun it's chaotic uh unfortunately there's been a lot of problems with the online servers uh since it launched because i really don't think the the people making the game had any idea how much people were going to be playing and how many people were going to be going crazy about it uh like they are but uh hopefully those kinks get ironed out and i can get some more online play in uh, i've been playing a lot of the kind of the season mode against the cpu uh when i've been playing it but uh really really dig in rocket league and like for a game that came for free it's a, it's especially great the um, thing about rocket league i find is that the the core concepts of it um if you took away all of the fancy graphics and all the shiny stuff and whatever its core concept is so simple that that that's the key reason why everyone's into it at the moment it's just a very very simple concept and it's executed simply as well there's uh, no kind of bells and whistles attached to it. And that, for me, is the key reason why it works. And I love games like that, where you can take something that could have existed for like 30 years. Because the core concept of what Rocket League is, I'm sure you could probably pull off in some form on uh, Atari if you wanted to. Um, yeah. You know, if you think about Pong and its core concept, there, there's elements of that simplicity. It's like, well, you could make this as a game like 30 years later or 30 years before and it's why there are some games that kind of work 20 years ago but don't work 20 years later because they've upgraded the graphics but the core concept of the game doesn't work but with Rocket League because it's so simple you can I'm sure they'll start sprucing up and they'll start adding all these other bits and pieces but the the core mechanics of it you're in a car you drive around the, the, the actual kind of uh, physics of it feels good. There's enough of a floatiness to it that you've got time to make your reactions. Um, and it's just a football game with cars. And what's there not to enjoy about that? So I've really been digging it. Um, 
I've only played it. I only played it kind of briefly. I'm going to try and get into a little bit more. I, I think we, me, and you should have a game of this at some point, Dave. I feel that. Would I, think, be... I think we should, and I think we should stream it as well. I feel know, that also. would be a solid, solid idea. But yeah, I'm. If we, if we can get the, I did try to play my friend Ben uh, online to organise a, a private match and stuff like that uh, during the first week, and it was still kind of uh, very jittery. The servers online. Uh, but I would put at least part of that down to how goddamn awful his internet connection is. <laughs> um, it is, like, tragically bad. So maybe we'll have a better look if we try. Um, um, I'm, I'm good for that. That works for me. Yeah, so everybody look forward to that possibly popping up on our YouTube channel during the week. Um, so have you been playing anything else this week, Mark? Um, other than a shitload more of The Binding of Isaac, which I won't bore everyone with because I had a lengthy discussion about it, uh, I played a little bit of Geometry, Geometry Wars 3, if I can pronounce it, uh, which is free on PS Vita at the moment, if you're a PS Plus member. And it's it's Geometry Wars. I, you know, I'm not really sure what I can say if you've played Geometry Wars before. It's more of that. They've added a few new features. Um, it's certainly not a game that I'm playing thinking this has to exist. Um, they've added more of a a 3D plane to, and those 3D planes vary in, in different shapes and sizes, and there's a few more gimmicks here and there, but if you ever played either the first two Geometry Wars, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's more of that, and it's, I feel like it's a little bit of a shame that Geometry Wars 3, um, and just Geometry Wars in general probably doesn't get more of a recognition because it was kind of one of those first games that came out for the XBLA back in the uh, 360 days that I feel really was the kind of launch pad for the Xbox Live marketplace for kind of digital only games and certainly for those kind of smaller games uh, and they were right there at the forefront and the reason for that is because like the original Geometry Wars is such a, again, as we are saying with Rocket League, it's a very simple concept um, but it works so well and it felt, felt so smooth and it has that kind of Robotron style vibe to it with, as a twin stick shooter and yeah, you know it's more of that but it's pretty cool to have a Geometry Wars game I can play on my Vita you know, that's, it's the kind of perfect game if, you, if you're commuting to, to work or whatever um and it looks lovely, and you know it's free on PS Plus. So if you, in any way, are inclined with Geometry Wars, I'd I'd give it a shout. One of the six or seven people that owns a Vita. Yeah, and you know after finding the damn thing after losing it for about six months. <laughs> um. Well, with that done, shall we uh, segue nicely into the news? Yeah, there's a few things we should talk about. Uh. Well, okay. Well, we'll kick off with um something that we had kind of. Uh, Put off from last week um, and that's our discussion because we never really, we've kind of alluded to it a fair bit uh, but I don't think we've really ever got into it on this and it's uh, No Man's Sky which is currently enjoying uh, a month of uh, exclusive features on IGN as part of their IGN First initiative um, Where to start with No Man's Sky, Mark? <laughs> well this is the problem um it's so fucking massive, it's hard to know where to start. And I, I'm i not sure whether to call it a flaw uh, of my personality, but when I get overwhelmed by something, I, my best approach to it is to just walk as far away from it and, and wait until everyone else has kind of cracked it and then kind of come in afterwards. Because I, 
I feel like however much I try to consume of what No Man's Sky is, it's not going to be enough. And I feel that's going to be a problem for me when I actually go and play this at some point as well, that there's going to be so much there for me to try and consume that I was like, I don't know where to start, i just fuck this. Um, the key things to take away... Well, should should we start off with very simply for the like the couple of people that have been living under a rock for say the last eighteen months, what No Man's Sky is? That's a good place to start. Uh, so No Man's Sky is uh, part exploration, part resource management, part space pirate game set in a procedurally generated universe. And when I say procedurally generated universe, that means there aren't a set number of planets that are programmed very specifically by the developers. They have used some sort of game development black magic to uh, ensure that planets are completely random, uh, where they are, what they're called, um, what flora and fauna are on it, uh, whether the atmosphere is toxic, things like that. Uh, And you play somebody who is basically, what they say is, and it's not the definitive goal for the game but it is uh, kind of the main shall we say objective if you if there is to be an objective for the game is to try and head towards the center of the galaxy through kind of either mining resources and using those to upgrade your suit and your ship to get a better kind of hyperdrive to skip through space or whether it's kind of like you become a space pirate and start, start attacking space stations and things like that to earn money to upgrade your shit and start traveling towards the center of the universe. This game um, has the potential to be the last game I ever need to buy. Um, <laughs> there was there have been things that have come out that have been uh, that kind of allude to how just how big the game is that almost give me a nosebleed when I think about it. Like how if you spent if you tried to travel to every single planet in No Man's Sky and spent one second on each planet before flying off to the next one the actual sun in real life would have burnt out by the time you would have done that. That's how many planets there are in No Man's Sky. And you get a kind of, if you've seen any of the E3 footage from this year of No Man's Sky, uh, when Sean Murray from Hello Games uh, kind of gives a little bit of a, uh, a playthrough of No Man's Sky and he zooms out to look at the galactic map, you kind of get an idea about just how big the universe of this game is. Um, and they're not really it's really sandboxy in as much as they're kind of they're not telling you you have to do it one way or the other you don't have to be an explorer you don't have to mine things like it's space minecraft uh you don't have to be a space pirate you can be any of those things you can be all of those things um it's just it's massive is the word we keep going back to long story short there's a fuckload of planets and you're never going to see them all yeah, and it's uniquely like it. It is a single-player game. You're not, not going to be able to log in and play with your friends and kind of explore the galaxy together. Even if you were to deliberately try and head towards places you know your friends were, you it could take you literally years to get there. And even when you do that, you don't exist in the same universe as other players. They explained this at E3 this year. Whereas every single player in No Man's Sky has an effect on everybody else's universe. They only do so in as much as if you're the first person to discover a planet, it is discovered by you, it goes down as being discovered by you, you may then name the planet, same goes for the flora and fauna on each planet, and then you'll find a station on each planet where you can upload discoveries to. 
So even though your friend might not ever run into you, there may come a day where they land on a planet that is discovered by Dave Ryan or discovered by Mark Robinson, even though they would never, even if they tried, actively actually run into us uh, on their journey to the center of the galaxy. Um, this is a game where like, every time I see it, I get more and more excited for it. But at the same time, I also get more and more worried about because it is, Hello Games are a very, very small team of people. And the the mind-boggling scope and breadth of this game is going to be incredibly difficult to pull off. And you can tell they're kind of like, they're feeling the pressure of that kind of, people are way more into this game than they probably thought. You can tell when, when he's interviewed that Sean Murray was not necessarily expecting to be this at the center of the harsh glare of the media like he has been uh, since the first kind of, the first time we saw No Man's Sky. But um, yeah, it's just, it's it's incredible for from such a small studio that something like this is coming out, and hopefully soon. Yeah, my concern, and I think the concern of a lot of people at this point, is that there is so much hype behind this game, and there's so many people that have an idea of what this game is, or what they want it to be, that I feel that the actual percentage of people that get what they think they want out of this game is actually going to be very small. Um, and that would be that would be disappointing if it turns out that you know this game is this incredible exploration adventure type game, but it's not what people wanted, and then it just gets everything thrown at it. Um, and I that that's a legitimate worry because I, I I feel that 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 is something that could actually happen. Yeah, to me, it's very much like, and I know it isn't a fair comparison because of the juggernaut it is, but some it, in some ways, the attitude you need, I think, to carry in to No Man's Sky is the same attitude you need to carry in if you're going to start playing Minecraft, for example. In as much as it's not going to be half as fun if you're not the kind of gamer who will give yourself a project while playing a game. Do you know what I mean? Like, There's nothing really to do in Minecraft from minute to minute. You don't progress to the next kind of boss level or anything like that. Well, you're not given like a list like... of objectives to do. You know, you no, make yeah, your it's objectives. not standard like that. So you come in and like there are things to do like go to the nether and go to the end and stuff like that. But from the kind of the minute to minute and day to day kind of stuff, like you need to be willing to give yourself a project. Like today I'm going to build a house or to, or like me today I want to build my nether portal. So what I'm going to do is build a giant fortress shaped like a skull crying lava to put the portal into that's what you need to do. You need to give yourself a project. So when you come into No Man's Sky, because it's so vast, because there's so many different things you can do without a real kind of strong nudging you in one particular direction, what you need to do is be prepared for something like, okay, well, I want to explore space. I want to go and look at all sorts of different weird fucked up animals, or I want to go and kind of um, start attacking space stations and stuff like that. I want to be kind of... um, the Han Solo of No Man's Sky or anything like that. But if people are coming into it and expecting like a very clear and concise, objective-driven uh, game, they're probably going to be the ones that get burned the worst by this. Yeah, and I don't necessarily fault those kind of people, uh, kinds of people, because um, most or just a, a lot of games these days, certainly your, your AAA high-budget games, 
they have ingrained even people like me and you who've been playing games for years and were playing games before this time the kind of modern design format of games is to literally in some cases hold your hands but in in most cases at least just give you a list of objectives and say right you have this to do that to do that to do and I imagine for a lot of people it's going to be weird to be taken out of their comfort zone and literally just just be left to your own vices to be like, right, it, it's up to me to go and do that. And it, it is kind of peculiar that a game like Minecraft, which doesn't have that for the most part, obviously it does have a few uh, end goals here and there, but Minecraft is this weird red-headed stepchild in the kind of current gaming landscape which doesn't fit that norm and is... Well, probably, or arguably, bigger than everything else that's out there at the moment. And I wonder if No Man's Sky can tap into that zenith. Uh, yeah, I think this is kind of like, uh, to me, Minecraft, and like there are a lot of grown-ups that play Minecraft, including myself. So, like, I, I don't mean to burn them in any way, but like, No Man's Sky is almost like the the Minecraft for our generation in a certain way, in as much as like it is an open experience that where you can do anything go anywhere but there's no real set objective but the diff the main difference is instead of being like a real kind of like um a, basically a lego game like uh, minecraft is it's more like a space game which was kind of like space was a, a great and almost ubiquitous setting to a lot of games we played growing up so it, like it appeals more to us like it certainly I am more excited to play No Man's Sky than I ever really was to play Minecraft as much as I love it. Um, it is kind of... Um, it will be interesting to see, like, can... Because it's very much kind of... With Minecraft, they trap lightning in a bottle. Can No Man's Sky do anything like that, as you said yourself? Or, like... It, I don't think they're even trying to do that. Like, I don't think they're trying to ape Minecraft. There's no point, because you're setting the bar too high for yourself. The unfortunate thing is people in the games media or anything like that not necessarily us because like we're saying kind of very we're using kind of minecraft as a touchstone for people to kind of understand um the openness of the game but there are a lot of people that i have seen many articles that are suggesting it is the next minecraft and stuff like that no quicker way to make a game fail than comparing it <laughs> to something like that this absolute behemoth of a game um but it, it is interesting and as part of this kind of um IGN first series of features we've been getting this month we've been seeing more and more of the game like the kind of some of the enemies you might fight in it like the um if you go onto a planet and just start fucking shit up and trying to like commit some sort of genocide on the uh the animals that are there trying to make them extinct and um, the planet does have defenses like different sentinels that come down and try to fight you and there's kind of like a wanted level system, almost kind of um, analog to GTA and stuff like that, as kind of Sean Murray said in a, in one of the, the streams they did with IGN. It's like, well, Rockstar didn't patent the wanted level system, so we're taking it, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was fantastically candid. Um, but yeah, and it's kind of like seeing things like that, seeing the actual, like that kind of a thing makes me a bit more relaxed about when the game finally does come out. Because I'm like, okay, I understand now that this kind of there's a lot to do, and there are kind of solid mechanics in there, as well as kind of the kind of the flighty idea of just cruising around space all day long. Um, 
some of the other stuff we've gotten in there, we've gotten more information on kind of how the economy works. There's um, there's no compulsion on you to ever visit a planet at all. He's he mentioned Sean Murray that like you after you kind of spawn on your first planet and take off into space on your ship, um, the way the economy works in there, you if you feel like it, you could never set foot on another planet again because you could just dock in at different space stations and start trading stuff from your first planet and start trading and trading and trading and using the economy to your advantage, then upgrade your ship that way without actually ever having to go onto a planet and mine stuff or having to attack other ships or anything like that. Uh, we also got a, a thing that boggled my mind is that they have their own periodic table of elements for the game. <laughs> um, of the different kind of things you can mine and discover. It's fucking on. madness. It's absolutely just... I <sighs> I'm so excited, like for this game, like good or bad. I am. I have rarely been more excited just to get my hands on something and see it for myself. I fully expect them to have constructed their own language by the time we get to release as well. <laughs> I would not be surprised. Um, I suppose I'm trying to think of like any final things, um, impressions I have of No Man's Sky so far. Um, what kind of stuff, like from the stuff you've seen, uh, what impressions do you have? Any anything else you can throw in at this juncture? Not really. I, I've not dived so deep into No Man's Sky mainly because I know I'm not going to play it this year. Um, for for anyone not aware yet, because we haven't really discussed it, but I'm not going to be here for a good portion of the rest of this year. Uh, so I, it, I feel like I don't want to jump too far into something that I know I'm not going to play. Um, I feel my way I'm going to approach this is when it does get released and people just start breaking it open and kind of just seeing what's under the hood and seeing all the nuts and bolts and intricacies and mechanics of it are then I'll take from that and I'll take from you and I'll take from other people um, some kind of idea of what this really actually is when someone sits down and plays it for 30, 40, 50 hours. Um, from that point, I'll, I'll really, you know, find myself getting more invested into it because it's just, it, it terrifies be, it's more me. Tangi- it'd be more tangible to you. Like It will be a real thing. It'll be something that... Just, just this discussion to me, like, and your kind of fear of the scope of the game kind of makes me realise why The Witcher probably isn't the game for you. Oh, God, no. No, and I have friends at work who've been telling me, oh, yeah, I've put, like, 100 hours into it. I was like, good for you. I can't say that, because by the time I'll be done finished with Binding of Isaac, I'll have put 100 hours into it. But it's, Yeah, with me, it's not even the, the hours I've put. I don't know what my hour count is for The Witcher yet, but it's more that, like, I you start off in, like, a very massive area, and I thought, okay, this is a massive game map. And my, my housemate, Brian, who you will hear on later podcasts, had said to me, you know, just wait. And I go to the second area where the world opens up a bit more. And I open my world map and zoomed out as far as it would go. And I nearly had a panic attack just looking at the map. It's that big. Like, it is fucking massive, this game. Um, so I can understand how No Man's Sky, when it's still this intangible, massive thing, might make you a bit anxious about it. Um like, just reading this, this is just uh, off the Wikipedia page for it, right? So, planets and other features of this universe are procedurally generated, though initially built based on a 32-bit number processor. The final game will use 64-bit seeding key, with the developers stating that this allows for more than 18 quintillion possible planets. Fuck off. Just fuck off. 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 <laughs> 
yeah. And actually, to be fair, be... what I was saying earlier, I mean, I No Man's Sky won't be out this year, so I mean, I'm sure by the time I get back, that will be in a place where it actually will have been yeah. out. Um, there had been there had been a lot of talk that um, because of the kind of how sparse the rest of the year is for Sony. There had been some speculation, some articles in, I want to say, Kotaku or anything like that, that Sony had had discussions with Hello Games to see if they could kind of uh, offer them a bit of money to speed things up a bit. Now, the implications are that kind of Hello Games said, no, fuck off, the game's done when it's done. Yeah. Um, but also, the things you got to look at uh, to kind of get a better picture on, you know, when are we going to see this game are things like Sean Murray had said... I think it was after Gamescom last year he's like you are not going to see No Man's Sky again until we're nearly ready to ship it and we saw it at E3 this year so either kind of he it is nearly ready or it's a case of again Sony were scraping for something people would be really excited by and he kind of relented in his previous kind of position on that yeah well look I mean think of it like this we were shown this game last year at E3 so that's been, at this point, 13, 14 months since we first saw a trailer for No Man's Sky, since we heard what No Man's Sky is. So we're nowhere near in any kind of position at the moment to consider this something along the lines of a Duke Nukem Forever or anything along those lines. But No, it is, and it is playable. People have played it yeah. as well. Like It, it is up and running. And I don't see the need for Sony to panic if they think that this lightning in a bottle that they have at the moment is going to dissolve anytime soon, because it's not. Because the more information that comes out about this, well, you have two types of people. You have me who are like, I can't even comprehend any of this information. And you have the people that are like, I as soon as this is in any way, shape or form something that I can play and get my hands on, fucking give it to me, I will consume it in straight into my veins. Yes, that's me. Yeah, uh, and I just, I hope that Sony keep that in mind and just play the, sail with the course that they have currently and don't don't nudge Hello Games in any way. If they want to offer them more money and support in any way, then that's fine. As long as it's not in a way that is dangerous to let's get product that in any way compromises what Hello Games' original vision is. If fucking this is any way anyway, what Hello Games' original vision for what No Man's Sky is or was. Um, but yeah, it's it's cool if nothing else that when you get like a new IP like this that is so just becomes almost legendary before it's even out and and is probably going to be one of those games that is talked about for a long long time and is just opened up and analysed in so many different ways you know this is going to be a really pivotal game Um, and I think that has a lot of people nervous as well because it's going to be a really pivotal game and that's why there's always that kind of pressure that it, it might not live up to people's expectations and it is uh, worth saying as well that like in terms of con- uh, consoles it is for the moment exclusive to PS4 when it does release which at least even if it's a timed exclusive because of the massive amount of hype that's behind this game that is pretty massive um, the, the people at Hello Games have kind of they've been coy about a possible Xbox One future release uh, but you know, uh, surely because they're a small studio, it is in their best interests. Unless they are 
substantially uh, compensated by Sony uh, that they would eventually pursue releasing it on Xbox as well. It is going to be on PC. That should be the least of their fucking concerns at the moment. (laughs) Yeah, they should just get the game finished. And hopefully, um, a lot of people do speculate that the end of this uh, month of IGN first stories, we're going to at least get a release window uh, announced. Even if it's not day and date, that will at least have... um, an idea when it might come out, which would be nice. At least we'd have something to put in the calendars. We shall wait and see. Because even like for me, even if they just say like Q1 2016 or something like that, at least it feels more concrete then. Yeah. Rather than this kind of uh, nebulous kind of it's gonna it's gonna come out eventually, but we don't even know when the announcement for when it's gonna come out is. So yeah, very very happy uh, with how it looks so far. But again. Uh, very nervous about it delivering on the incredible promise it shows. Yeah. I think most people just want any kind of date so they can start block booking three to four weeks of their holiday for that year off. Figure out when they have to quit their job. More or less, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, okay, so we'll move on from that unless you have anything else to say about No Man's Sky? No, nope, I'm I'm all No Man's sky out for the time being. Okay, cool. Uh, so we've got a couple of games that are dropping this week uh, as part of our uh, news scoops. One that I'm very excited by, and I know you will be, that drops within the next week or so, is the Rare Replay. Why am I excited for something that is appearing on a console that I don't have and I already own most of the games on it that I would want to play? Because you're going to come over and play the games with me someday. Yeah, but at least not for another nine to ten months. Okay, Captain Optimism. <laughs> Hey, no, look, this is a great deal for anyone who owns an Xbox One and wants to play a bunch of stuff, even though it doesn't have the best rare games a la Diddy Kong Racing and Donkey Kong Country. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's it's it's a cool release, it's got some great stuff on there, and um, I don't know what the achievement setup is going to be, whether it's just complete the game to get the achievement points for that. Um, the achievement list actually has been released. I haven't looked at it yet, but okay. uh, yeah, it has been released. Because I'd be curious to see if they are set with each individual game, or it is just complete the game to get the achievement points. Um, but yeah, it's it's rare replay. Like as soon as it came out, I was like, "This is a cool thing." I'm sure it'll add a few features to um, incorporate original technology or or something to do that affects the television to make it feel like you're playing, you know, the authentic game of that time. Um, but uh, and I have an Xbox One, so fuck yeah. off. I do, and I, as we speak, over my shoulder here on the TV, I do have it preloading at the moment. Um, <laughs> and it's kind of like, it's great for me because um, I do own a fair few of the games still on N64, like uh, the likes of Banjo-Kazooie, Banjo-Tooie, uh, the original Perfect Dark, uh, things like that. But there are some other games that I've never really got a chance to play, the likes of a Jet Force Gemini. Um, or I own two your... copies of that. You own two copies of that. I own two copies of that. The greed you show. The first world greed by owning two copies, and here I am sitting with none. No, I just, I forgot. Soon I will. I I forgot that. 4th of August. I forgot that I bought one copy of it, so I bought another one, and then realised I'd already bought it. Uh, But very soon I'll have games I never got my hands on. Uh, One, Conquer's Bad Fur Day, because I was uh, but a child when that came out, and that was not a game suitable for children. It was deemed in the house at the time. you've never played Conquer's in any form or fashion? No, I have not. I'm very, very excited to play I would recommend putting it at the top of your list, but I would also take into consideration... because I'm presuming these are direct ports and there is no, there's been no tinkering with uh, anything under the bonnet. 
that it doesn't control that well in 2015 or with the last time I played it about two years ago. In fact, it's actually it's a fucking appalling game in terms of its controls. Um, yeah, it is a very hard game to track down nowadays if you didn't have it back then. Um, the the shop I tend to go to for my retro games, a uh, big shout out to The Rage on Fade Street in Dublin. Um, they have it there, and I believe to get it in its box is about €135. Euro. Yeah, that sounds and, about right. Yeah. And to get it outside of its box, not all that much cheaper. Yeah, I, uh, well, whereas... like, Conkers came out in like 2001, so that was right at the tail end of the N64. Um and it shows because it's clearly one of the best looking games because or for the N64 because if you look at most backgrounds on N64 games a lot of the uh, textures they're stretched out they look really fucking awful that more than anything else other than the actual 3D models is what ages a lot of N64 games but a lot of those latter end ones that were using the expansion pack they managed to really kind of detail out some of the backgrounds and it, it, it makes it look you know like makes it look like something that could have come out about five years after its actual kind of when it was released yeah it could have been an early to mid GameCube cycle yeah. oh yeah yeah uh, no, very excited for that, and even like very excited to revisit the games. I, I still do own because the thing about like, and this is a real first world problem sort of thing. The thing about like uh, my setup here, uh, kind of my audio visual setup, is that I have quite a large television, and if you try to hook up an N sixty four to that, it by God stretches the fuck out of the image, um, and kind of not. I actually find it doesn't ruin it playing on on a big TV surprisingly as much as the GameCube stuff gets ruined. Um, I tried to hook up my GameCube a few months ago to my TV and play Super Mario Sunshine, and it looked appalling really? on my television. Yeah, whereas I just put it on, like I have a, uh, there's there was kind of like a smaller screen TV lying around up in the attic that I kind of dug out and hooked back up, and it looks great on the, like, hooked up to that on the smaller screen, but just kind of, I don't know, when it's all stretched out to hell, on a, like because it's a, what, a 40 inch screen I have uh, with my PS4 and my Xbox One hooked up to it just kind of it, it looks god awful so it'll be nice to see even though they are if you look at the this kind of the screenshots of the rare collection a lot of them are kind of almost letterboxed um, they're not going to be in full kind of um, taking up the full screen but at the same time it's going to look a lot better than if I had hooked up my N64 to the back of my TV this is um, some major third world first world problems we are isn't it though it yeah. really is <laughs> but I'll also get to play for the first time a game that you have constantly been raving to me about probably since we've been friends Viva Pinata oh Viva Pinata oh. you love a bit of Viva Pinata my friend I love Viva Pinata for a number of reasons one because I had the wonderful contrast at the time as I'm hoping a number of people did which was Viva Pinata and Gears of War. Um, it, it was a nice one-two punch. And also it was... Let's be honest. Rare and Microsoft have not had the best relationship since their coming together. <coughs> Nuts and bolts. Uh, yeah. And there's been very few times where that Rare magic has really come out. And um, Viva Piñata is the the peak of what I believe that relationship has to offer uh, and it's a game that you can easily sink a lot of hours into and very quickly and it's very cute and very cuddly and the way that the piñatas mate they have like a little dance it's just, it, it warms my heart and then once you've got all your little baby worms you just use them as basically food for all the other animals and then yeah, it just it turns into this weird Death camp, um, 
and has actually a very, very dark heart to it, and I like that. It's, it's just great. I, I fucking love Viva Piñata, and I don't think... It, like I was saying earlier um, about whatever the first game we were talking about, uh, Geometry Wars, I think it's a game that doesn't get as n- enough recognition, uh, certainly for that early Xbox 360 period. Uh, no, very much so. I'm kind of looking forward to diving into Viva Pinata and some other stuff. Like I'm just looking at the the, the stuff that's queued up downloading at the moment. Um, getting achievements for Banjo Kazooie is going to be a weird concept for me. Yeah. Um, Mike, because I usually like I play through Banjo Kazooie once every year, or two years, something like that. So it'll be interesting to play through it and start picking up achievements for that. And then the other one, uh, which to me, like I had a big shout here, but I have always uh, favored Perfect Dark over Goldeneye. Um. Big shout, I know. No, hey, look, um, I can see where you're coming from. You're wrong, but I can see where you're coming from. <laughs> it's nice of you to allow me to sit here in my wrongness. Yeah, I, I'll, I will allow that. Um, I looking at the list. There are two games. One is an under, underrated classic from back in the day, which is Snake Rattle and Roll. I had a fucking grand old time playing that on my NES back in the day. And the other is Battletoads, which I have to say. I don't think Battletoads is a good game um, because I think it it pushes that line of unfair level design to uh, an almost punishing degree. Now it goes beyond punishing. And the difficulty I'm, curve is basically a straight vertical line. It's a brick wall uh, and you'll yeah. hit many brick walls when you get to Turbo Tunnel. And I'm a man that's chiselled from stone from the Mega Man series, so I know my pain and punishment, but even I have to take a step back and say, what the, what the fuck is this? Um, I know that they've incorporated a um, a rewind button or mode, which means that Battletoads will actually be completable. Um, but even with that, I I look forward to hearing the pain. Yeah, that's one that's not going to be at the top of my list, let's say. If you want to leave that until I come round and we can try and do that in a weekend, we can do that then. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a distinct possibility. Yeah. Um, so uh, another game that's dropping that I kind of want to briefly mention I haven't written in the show notes that's dropping in about a week and a half now that I'm very much looking forward to have it pre-ordered and everything uh, oh no I don't have I don't have this one pre-ordered because it hasn't popped up in the shop yet I have something else pre-ordered um, everybody's gone to the rapture which is one that has been a lot of kind of um, for people that I generally kind of trust when they get excited about a game um, this game is coming out it's a PS4 exclusive and it's out on the 11th Um it's a game... Have you seen anything from Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, Mark? No, I've never even heard of it. What is it? Uh, it's a game that's based around, I think it's six characters, um, and they tell a story. It's based in, of all places, Shropshire. Um, and it's, <laughs> I was not expecting Shropshire to be mentioned. I, I didn't think you were. Um, and it's about the apocalypse. The apocalypse has already happened, and you're kind of uh, wandering around this village trying to piece together... Uh, I, th- I, I want to say six different narratives about kind of um, what happened, how it happened, different things like that. Um, I imagine it's going to have the same kind of deserted feeling that either one did, except hopefully where it works better. Um, it's a very, very good looking game. It's it's coming from um, the Chinese room and, and Sony Santa Monica. Um, it's, a, it's considered a spiritual successor to Dear Esther. Um, so very much looking forward to that. It's very they're very tight lipped on exactly what's going on in there. Uh, IGN have I think a thirteen or fifteen minute video of gameplay from very on early on in the game, 
where nothing is really given away except that it's a very very pretty game um and you know that you're just trying to figure things out uh, in it so i'm very excited for that um it would be worth if anybody's interested in kind of like this kind of theme that i'm going on at the moment of like her story either one um ethan carter things like that of just a game that looks very very unusual um might want to check that out on ign's channel on you are really like sailing that, that highbrow art style type game ship at the moment for the link to the yeah, past uh, yeah i don't know what it is i think at a certain point like i don't know whether do you know what i think it might have been i think it might have been the order agent 86 just broke me because <laughs> <laughs> that's around the time that like i bought that game on day one and i and then you finished, finished it, it that day in about, in about six hours and kind of went do you know what i'm gonna see what people who aren't uh like uh, major developers have to offer me now some stranger things and that uh, i don't have to spend 50 60 euros on yeah because if i'm if i'm ever the guy who day one goes out and buys an assassin's creed game i think i'll find the nearest cliff to jump off and i well, no, you won't be jumping off because i'll be pushing you off it <laughs> so yeah i I'm, I'm letting the uh i'm I'm championing the slightly weird games at the moment, and I'm happy with that. I'm, I'm happy to be that guy to, I'm proud of to carry you. that burden. You give me a warm, funny feeling inside. <laughs> Besides the usual reasons. Hey, hey. Controversial. Speaking um, of controversial... Oh, oh, what a segue. Masterful. Right. Um, your old Dar so, is a bit of a racist. Yes. It came crashing down, and it hurt inside. Mark. And he fights for the white of every man. Known racist Hulk Hogan has been <laughs> dropped from WWE 2K16. Not only dropped from WWE 2K16, but seemingly dropped off the face of the earth. Yes, he has been, as the internet uh, very dodgily described it, he has been Ben, ben Watt. Watt. Yeah, He has been scrubbed from their website. <laughs> Let's get into this. Like, I don't think we've made any secret uh, on this podcast before that we are uh, fans of the ProGraps so this was a story, before it had any effect on um, the development of this game, uh, we were already uh, acutely aware of what was going on. Uh, possibly because, I don't know if you are if you have the same, um, I am amongst my general kind of um, friends, I am the wrestling guy. So if anything happens that somehow permeates into mainstream news, it's usually when someone dies. Um, I am the guy who is asked about it by everyone he meets. Uh, I've not actually had anyone come up to me and say, is Hulk Hogan actually a racist? Um, I'm going to see if this kind of picks up, because it has started to really hit uh, mainstream news, although I don't know if it's hit anything over here as such. I have seen some, well, it was uh, one of the first places I saw it was on BBC. Oh, really? Uh, BBC's website, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I have seen some fantastic memes about it so far. Um, well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Um, the, uh, my particular, I must try and find it and send it to you. My particular one is uh, a, a, it's a small Venn diagram for the fan, the people that are fans of both wrestling and Father Ted. But the, um, I've seen it. A yeah. reference. Yeah. Uh, so I hear you're a racist now, brother. Uh, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, do you want to? Shall we dip into what happened with this story? Well, I mean, I don't think we need to go too far into it because this is primarily a, a video games podcast. Yeah, and well, not a basically, random. yeah, well, like, to, to give the cliff notes, basically Hulk Hogan is currently in the middle of a lawsuit with Gawker over the release of a supposed sex tape involving him and the wife of a former friend of his. Um, and 
a bubble the love sponge and as part of kind of the sealed court documents there are transcripts from four different videos that this tape was comprised of that somehow over the weekend through one way or the other because i don't think the source of these leaks has come out at all yet um somehow the likes of the national Enquirer, radar online and tmz all got a hold of the transcripts where he says some very very racist things indeed and to cap it all off on top of saying some very racist things indeed, he literally at one point says, I am a racist. <laughs> um, so even if you go, even if you go, oh, I said some horrible things, but I'm not a racist. It's like, no, nah, mate, you actually said the words, <laughs> I'm a racist. You kind of lose that get out of jail card. Um, you know, you can't just say you were trying to replace brother in your vocabulary and taking something out for a test drive and it didn't go great. Uh but uh, yeah, as a result now, obviously WWE, for for many valid reasons, are distancing themselves as much as possible. And uh, the only bearing this has on the game so far is that Hulk Hogan is completely dropped from the game. Which doesn't really, like as a guy who buys the WWE game usually, uh, doesn't really upset me that much. No. Um, and the thing is, uh, and people have been right to kind of make this point and not that it would make it any way defendable for Hogan to still be in WWE 2K16, but you look at the fact that, okay, so this year's artwork uh, features a known wife beater, and I think last year's or the years before had um, the kind of key features that they had a guy who, in a speech once said, queering doesn't make the world work. So it's like... And they also made a profit off a guy who had a very acrimonious split with the company being a major part of the story mode of that game. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know... forget about that part. No, exactly. Um, obviously, you have to drop him. There's no other way around it. Um, and you will get the people to say, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Whatever. I mean, you know, and people and mainstream media um, outlets have been keen to pick up the very famous clip on an episode of WWE television where <laughs> Vincent Kennedy McMahon, the chairman of WWE, says to and one of human, his... human cartoon character. Oh yeah, says to one of his performers, uh, I believe it is, what up my nigger? Is that, is that what he says? <laughs> Sorry, spy on my Pepsi there. I yeah. believe I believe that's what he says. Yeah, he may have used some uh, some dodgy language. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And th- uh, to be fair, that's pretty much the the Hogan um, passage times a hundred. Um. Um. I, I, can I, I, like, I, I don't really from, know what just... more what more there is to say. The Hogan said a lot a lot of really racist stuff and has been dropped off the face of the earth. And it's like, well, yeah, that's pretty much what you do. And we kind of and take like, it from there. Just... Not just from WWE's point of view for dropping him, but also like 2K uh, are not going to want anything to do with no. Of course not. Of course not. You know, uh, if whatever about like a couple of years ago, THQ, which for the last couple of years of their existence resembled like a garbage truck on fire speeding towards a cliff. Um, whatever about those, like 2K are still a going concern and are not going to want to be uh, associated with that. No, and they have the pain as it is having to work with a, a game, a wrestling engine that has been terrible for about six years now and clearly have no desire to revamp it anytime soon um yeah just you drop him and that's it so i'm looking forward to seeing the hilarity that ensues in the following weeks with all of this to be quite honest yeah apparently there is more to come oh Uh, 
I rock my hands in anticipation. I know, you, like you can't imagine it gets worse, but you also, in in a certain way, at the back of your head, really hope it does get worse, just for the sake of kind of sitting back with a book of popcorn and watching the fallout. I'm um, a lot of surprised that all of the the stars of that era. I mean, of and this is now going into interesting territory. Are there any of them that aren't completely out of their minds? Because I can think of maybe Steamboat, and that's about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're either out of their minds or dead. Yeah. That's wrestling. really depressing. It's, it's, yeah, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful it's industry. A, it's a dark place. Anyway, moving on to something a bit bright and breezy, something that's bound to get uh, young Mark Robinson very excited over there. Uh, Universal Orlando is rumoured to be the site of the first Nintendo theme park. So we talked on the show before about how giddy and gleeful we were about the concept of uh, Nintendo and Universal teaming up to make some theme parks around the world at some of their kind of, um, the different kind of uh, Universal attractions. Um, And it seems like there is substance to Universal Orlando getting the first one. Now, as to when we might get that, who knows, but... Um, it's supposed to be kind of a whole park that focuses on video games. So it's not just Nintendo, but also Blizzard Entertainment properties, which is very interesting to me. Um, but some of the stuff that this is from IGN, uh, some of the things that are mentioned that is going to certainly uh, pop Mark over there is a Mario Kart ride, which I think was one of the really obvious ones. Yeah, it goes without saying. Um, different things like obviously the other two you're going to want to really base stuff on are mentioned in this Pokemon Legend of Zelda but there's like there's so many like on the air and off the air the week we talked about it we brainstormed many many ideas for kind of quality Nintendo based uh, theme park attractions like the idea of kind of like a Pokemon Safari I mean I am concerned when I start seeing some steroid induced mice painted yellow and (laughs) <laughs> shock induced or whatever I, I, that's to be seen how they uh, pull that one off but yeah there is the obvious stuff like a Mario Kart ride um, or a, like a Donkey Kong obstacle course or, yeah like or just, just, just kind of jungle there's so theme much park. potential with that intellectual property like it's and um, it's to be fair it's surprising that it hadn't been done sooner actually it's strange that like a Nintendo um, in terms of kind of uh official merchandising have never really uh, capitalized on that kind of stuff in the way a lot of other people have like they capitalize on their ip with their games whereas i think we discussed in a previous episode like how kind of awkward it is to get your hands on like top quality official nintendo licensed merchandise of their characters like until amiibo came out amiibo was really it at the moment and like um it's it's working for them. It's it's working quite a treat. Like look I mean, at me I, this week. This week I made sure that the uh, pre order I made for Mario Maker had the pixelated Mario Amiibo in it because okay. yeah, obviously, obviously. I, look, I don't know the the economics of Nintendo, but I would put it if we're going to go very kind of black and white with it. They've never had to heavily merchandise their stuff to this degree or have to cooperate with Universal Studios, whoever. Um, to you know make some money but because the where nintendo are currently with their hardware and software sales and and the the sharp u-turn that we've had since the days of the wii um where i keep saying that square enix have the big red button that says final fantasy 7 remake which they've now pushed i think that nintendo just have a bunch of red buttons of their own that they've started pushing um 
Um, but this isn't anywhere near as cynical as I feel about the Final Fantasy VII remake. I, there's actually some real good potential opportunities here to do some really fucking awesome stuff that 10-year-old me, like the idea of a Nintendo-themed park, just fucking sounds amazing. Uh, and Universal Studios is a, is a wonderful place as it is to go as a, a kid or even as a teenager, which I did both. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm all for this and not even in the kind of cynical sort of way. So, no, there's some really cool stuff that can be done with this. Uh, yeah, no, completely agree. Um, right, we'll, we'll move on anyway because we have a couple of news story, uh, stories left and one I just remembered this second. Um, one that I'm very excited about and filling my gimmick of mentioning it every single week uh, Hideo Kojima and Guillermo del Toro are still intent on working on a game together. Um, obviously, the two of them had paired up on the now completely abandoned and shit upon Silent Hills project. Uh, but they are insistent on still working on a game together after presumably um, uh, presumably Kojima is going to get chucked uh, around September 2nd, the day after. He's been getting uh, fucking chucked around for the last 12 months. Indeed. Um but he's, he's surely about to get formally shown the door from Konami as soon as that game comes out. Unless, as I think you said before, uh, it is a massive mind game on his part to hype up the game. Um, so, yeah, it will be interesting to see because Guillermo del Toro has not got any of his potential uh, video game projects off the ground yet. But it would be interesting to see if they leave Konami and fuck off and basically make Silent Hills, but obviously because they don't own the IP, it's not called Silent Hills. It's just a weird psychological horror game um, that would have been Silent Hill otherwise. Uh, possibly and probably yes, because if you think about the Silent Hill lore, it's very easy to just take a kind of concept of Silent Hill and twist it and do something that isn't Silent Hill. Uh, that's yeah, and it's not like... Series, um, but it's very easy to do, do that with. Yeah, and it's not like from what we saw in PT and what we heard about Silent Hill is that it was going to have anything to do with any previous game in the series. Because like some... No. Uh, a lot of the Silent Hill games make nods to the different characters and stuff like that, but all we saw of the actual main characters, that is Norman Reedus. So there was no uh, Tread playing PT and stuff like that. There was no kind of hints towards... And it was part of why no one knew until they finally figured out how to beat the fucking thing, that PT was Silent Hill. Yeah. I mean, um, like, PT so for me... Be, like you said, it would be very easy for them to turn around and make that something else. Yeah, PT for me is just a Silent Hill game that exists in a post-Slender Man universe. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah, I'll take that. Um, so, one of our final news stories, and this is one that uh, you had brought to light, Mark, so do you want to take this one away? Uh, Mighty Number no. 9 release date might be pushed back to 2016. Yeah, this I is, mean... Uh, this plays into your wheelhouse as uh, the Mega Man correspondent of the podcast. I mean, not that this should come as any kind of surprise. Um, anything that is related to Kickstarter or any of those kind of um, crowd-funded pledge... Sites all seem to have issues in some degree or another, and Mighty Number no. 9 has one of those where its release date for September looks like it might be pushed back to 2016 now. Um, it is coming. That is not an issue here at all. It's just when it actually does happen. Um, to be fair, I've, I've not delved too much into Mighty Number no. 9 because it looks like a substandard Mega Man game. Um, I just know. Tell a lie. It looks like a lot of the modern Mega Man games that were being made before they decided that they were all subpar and went back to the original Mega Man graphical concepts, which works and is how it should be. 
Um, just kind of physically, mechanically, just looks a bit clunky. I won't know until I play, obviously. But, yeah, it's been pushed back. And also, it looks like there was some sort of crowdfunding for a Mighty Number no. 9 live-action film, which I've just read. Uh, yeah, there was a, an, uh, yeah, an anime um, or something like that, that that was supposed to be part of... Uh, we just get calls or something the like that. fucking game first. Yeah. And then go like from that. there. That's my thought. I'm interested to play it. Um, it's something I am going to pick up eventually, and it's kind of annoying for, I'm sure, the people who have money invested in, so in some people's cases, substantial amounts of money that it's getting delayed. But, uh, no. you know, this is, the, this is the risk you run with Kickstarter. And at least, like you said, the game is definitely coming out. That's not an issue, unlike people who have invested money in games before and got burned because the people run off with their money. And don't, don't get me wrong, when it does come out, I will be giving you a full, deep dive analysis of of uh, Mighty Number no. 9 in only the way that I can as uh, the the Mega Man connoisseur of the Links of the Cast uh, <laughs> podcast. But yeah, it, it, I mean, I usually, I try to keep an open mind that pushbacks are just because they want to add a few little tweaks in here to make the game a fuller, more richer experience. And I'm fine with that. Um, and I think it needs to do a lot of that because I don't think it looks very good. But that's just my opinion, so... Okay, so that's the end of the, uh, the the current news, but there is one thing we want to touch on, um, kind of uh, a very kind of on a somber note. Uh, you might have heard at the start of the podcast last week the dedication, but uh, since we finished recording the last podcast, uh, but before it it went live on the site, we've had to deal with the uh, the tragic passing of Satoru Iwata, president and CEO of Nintendo, uh, who died uh, at the all too young age of fifty five. Um, so, uh, kick us off on this, I suppose, Mark. Uh, first thoughts when you heard the news? I wasn't overly surprised, um, which is really unfortunate to say, but it, it kind of put everything into context considering what the last couple of um, kind of press conferences from Nintendo have been like, and certainly with the one at E3 where they had the Jim Henson Muppets um to present what they had coming out and yeah it it just kind of puts all into context that obviously he was in very poor health um and it's just a shame because from what you've read about um over the last week or two about Iwata and what he meant to the industry and what people have been saying is just like he's just he was one of the good people and he came he, from he was he was an executive in a company who himself was a games guy he wasn't just somebody appointed to trying to kind of bring in a business strategy to the gaming industry. He was a gamer. He was a developer who rose through the ranks to become a president and CEO. So he understood the kind of the, the gamer mindset. Yeah. And that's uh, a and rare so thing. It is. It's very, very rare indeed. Like, it, as much as people will try and beg and plead with you at press conferences at E3 when they come out in their retro game t-shirts and stuff like that to try and convince you they've ever picked up uh, a DualShock 4 in their lives or any sort of controller whatsoever, um, there was something about Iwata, his, well, his history more than anything else, that made him much more genuine when he seemed excited about something or when he was talking about games. You, you took him more seriously than some of these other suits uh, basically and you look back on his kind of his his history uh, both at HAL and later on when he brought more kind of formally into the fold with Nintendo uh, some of the stuff he has uh, had a hand in kind of touched upon that his DNA is in the likes of Earthbound obviously Kirby is the big one that everybody kind of goes on about he had the most kind of direct uh, 
work done on Kirby out of all of them. Um, Pokemon, Smash Brothers, among a lot of others. Uh, served as president and CEO of uh, Nintendo during some of their most profitable times, with the Nintendo DS and the Wii being some of the most kind of ridiculously successful consoles ever released anywhere. Uh, and also uh, was able to kind of has been steering the ship through a storm because the 3DS and the Wii U have not really hit exactly where they thought it would, particularly the Wii U, obviously. Um, and it's um, that's just terrible, really. It's um, it's a bummer. Like it really is. Like because, like you said, it is um, an awful rarity that uh, someone who is a games guy gets into such a, a prominent position. And 55 is is very young indeed for yeah. Um, someone of that stature or any stature really to pass away and like i so, you know my belt buckle is a nes gamepad which i keep knocking into the chair as you'll probably hear in the recording and it's you know he's one of the reasons that i have such a belt buckle um and he's one of the key reasons that i still even at the grand age of 27 when i should probably be doing more serious things in my life i can't help but keep coming back to nintendo and what they offer and he was one of those key reasons and uh yeah it was it was very sad but but not surprising considering the circumstances um and it will be just it'll be interesting to see kind of how they go forward and all the talks about miyamoto potentially taking over the position of Iwata and what they're going to do with that going forward um but yeah that was a very very sad day for the video games industry yeah um i think like he himself uh really summed it up best and i think it was at a gdc where he said uh on my business card i'm a corporate president in my mind i'm a game developer but in my heart i'm a gamer and like the the industry as a whole is a lot worse off, off from having lost him but a lot better off from having known him in the first place so I just felt I kind of wanted to hit on that uh, and actually kind of formally acknowledge that uh, on an episode, uh, having you having done the very nice brief uh, commemoration to him at the start of last week's episode. So um, moving on to something, well, both grim and more cheery at the same time, um, are we going to tip into the book club for this week, Mark? Yeah, um, on, a, on a lighter note, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this week... We are going to talk about the wonderful but somewhat grim Max Payne. shooter action thriller neo-noir video game developed by Remedy Entertainment and distributed by 3D Realms which came much to your surprise when we talked about it Indeed. Uh, and was released back in 2001 um, it tells the story of Max Payne who is recovering from a rather tragic scenario where he walks into his house to find that his daughter and wife have been murdered and kind of goes off on uh, on a path to find out why this has happened and, um, you know, bring down those responsible. And 
the key thing to start off with here is to say that having played Max Payne again recently, um, it hasn't aged particularly well. I'll be the first no. to say it. <laughs> this, that was uh, that was an early impression of mine uh, firing up the DS2 this week. Yeah, um, graphically, most of the models and most of the textures are actually okay, but like Max's face itself, which constantly looks constipated. Um, and some of the kind of in-house voice acting is a particularly great. And the actual controls in, of Max Payne himself are very clunky in places. If I were to describe Max Payne's face in what noise I imagine he's making when he pulls that face, it's something like... <laughs> you can imagine that face constantly making that noise. Yeah. But with that said, um, Max Payne is a pretty influential game and it's still a very enjoyable game if you go back and play it now. Um, mainly even just for a few things that it does and incorporates. And one of those is the bullet time mode. Um, it's, if you've before, ever... before it became hackneyed. Yeah. Uh, if you've ever watched The Matrix and you've seen the bits where everything goes into slow-mo and you see the bullets flying at a tenth of the speed, of, or probably a hundredth of the speed of what they actually would go at... Essentially, that happens in Max Payne, and you can control going into bullet time for a certain amount of time to take out a large mem- a number of enemies on the screen at any one time. And it's never not the coolest fucking thing you're doing a video game. Um, certainly, when you're standing behind a wall, you dive to the left and you take out four guys in one go, and then come back into real life as they just all fall on the floor. If you've ever seen X Men: Days of Future Past and the very famous scene where Quicksilver runs around the room in sort of his time and just takes everyone out, and then turns back to kind of real time and everyone just drops at the same time, it's essentially that. Uh, and it's yeah, it's never not fucking awesome. And that's kind of the. That's kind it's of the... like it, nothing compares to the satisfaction of the first time you jump out from around the corner of a wall and catch someone directly with a headshot from a shotgun, and they just spin off ragdolling into the air as you land on the ground, looking cool as shit. Yeah, um, it's also it, <sighs> there's no other way to say it. it's a grim fucking game. It's dark. Yeah. It has heavy elements of neon noir. Um, it does have a slight, slight comic effect to it, a comic style to it in the way that... Yeah, well that's a, a lot of the narrative uh, for the game is done through these kind of cutscenes uh, of kind of comic book panels which I think particularly at the time because this is before um, as hard as it might be for some of uh, some younger listeners to understand there was a time where comic book movies and stuff weren't as ubiquitous as they are now where they weren't the cool thing in the world um, so it was kind of um, relatively unique at the time and um, a very interesting way of telling the story without having to take up massive space on the disc by having these elaborate kind of cutscenes uh, built in engine. Yeah, and it's a very effective way of doing it and it's good game design. It's one of the key things about being a game designer is how can I get the most out of a particular thing with without using, using the least amount of RAM and memory um, and the way they incorporate this by these comic book scenes is very, very very well done and there have been games that have done this since uh, to good effect one of the drawbacks I find over these scenes is that they have the one piece of music that is used for all of these scenes it does get a little bit tedious after a while Um, and there is also the fact that Max uh, while the voice acting is pretty good for the most part he's just kind of gravel almost monotone approach (laughs) 
it, it wears on you after a while. Um, it doesn't. And in fact, Max Payne in general, the game just in its heaviness and dark undertones does wear on you after a while. But if you take it in in kind of short bursts, there, there's a lot to get out of it. Um, I guess that one of the things we could probably talk about is: Did you play Max Payne Three? Uh, no, I've never played Max Payne Three. Um, there are a lot of people that didn't like Max Payne Three because it's not like Max Payne, and I'm, I, I was aware of that much. Yeah, and I'm kind of fine with that to be honest. I appreciate the fact that they didn't just kind of rest on the laurels um, and they modernized the gameplay a little bit. They had to really because if they tried to make it anything like what it was back in 2001. I, I feel that it would have still had that clunkiness to it. It does have a little bit of the fact that it's a game that exists after Gears of War, hide behind a corridor, hide behind uh, a you know, um, small wall type scenario. It, it, it heavily relies on that uh, gimmick. But it still still has that darkness, still has the the weighty tones, and it's still pretty fucking bleak in places, and a lot of people die. But Max Payne was one of those games that I remember playing back in the day and I felt like it it had sank a little bit deeper to it. it. You know, a lot of games are just kind of superficial, just you play them and then once you're done with them, you move on to the next one. But I, Max Payne resonated with me. You know, there's the scene where you're having, you've, you've had like a drug overdose and that in itself you don't really do that in games very often but you have an overdose and then you have a flashback to the night that your wife and child die and the corridor starts stretching out and all you can hear is this baby screaming in the background and then you are in a big black room and you have to walk along this thin trail of blood and have to follow it to the right exit to get out of the overdose you're in and that stayed with me for a very long time and I remember when I had to go back and do it not too long ago, and I went, I'm not sure I really want to do this, because I didn't particularly enjoy it, not because it's bad, but because it's just it's a very uncomfortable scene. Um, and there's not a lot of games that could do uncomfortable in a way that isn't completely tasteless. And I don't think Max Payne does that. I feel it does it in a way where it's... Not entirely tasteful, but it's not gratuitous. There's there, there's a reason behind it. It makes sense in what you're doing, and it's not overly graphic. It's you know it's more of a psychological justified. thing. It is justified, and it's more of a psychological thing that it does. Um, yeah. What, what what are your thoughts on Max Payne? Uh, Max Payne comes out right at that uh, kind of sweet spot where um, if anything is a PS2 game and has a Rockstar stamp somewhere on the box, it's going to be pretty good. Um, it's not a game like of the kind of the uh, the PS2 era Rockstar games. It is not uh, were Rockstar related games at least. Uh, it is not one of the uh, the games I have delved deepest into. Uh, and I certainly um, kind of uh, having revisited in the last week or so can totally see where you're coming from with regards to the in terms of like how it controls and some of the visuals and stuff like that. It doesn't necessarily hold up as well as some other games we've talked about on this. But uh, as a guy who um, enjoys his comic books, enjoys his neo-noir, like one of my favorite comic books of all time um, is The Long Halloween, uh, a Batman story that is that plays very much like a neo-noir detective story. Um, I love the vibe of that comic book. And this kind of 
is a game that evokes that kind of vibe. It's very dark. It's very brooding before the kind of the dark brooding kind of comic book movie became a thing that was popular. It was still very unique at the time. Um, it's funny to see now, like people revisiting it who haven't played it before. I feel like they won't get the kind of the full grasp of how really unique it was at the time, because pretty much every aspect of the game um, has been in various ways, like kind of cherry picked and used in other games that have followed since. So maybe it's harder for people to kind of wrap their heads around how this wasn't really um, every game at the time wasn't like this. Um, certainly as a kind of um, as a what year did it come out in? About 2001. So 2001 so that's like er, that's early enough in the, the PS2's life cycle that's about a year in isn't it? To the PS2's life cycle if I'm yeah, not Yeah yeah it was around that time yeah. So like for an early PS2 game in particular um, when like most people in my age group anyway are still kind of in their uh, the age where they're playing games like Spyro and things like that it is a a massive change of pace to be playing something with an altogether like this is video games taken seriously this is part of the kind of maybe a relatively early exploration into the uh, now a popular concept of kind of video games as art video games as a storytelling medium rather than just kind of jump from platform to platform and reach the end of the level kind of thing. Uh, it was actually telling a, a proper dark and, and very grown-up story. Um, and it is very much like it's not on my kind of a desert island list of games that uh, I would play relentlessly till the end of time, but it is certainly one of the ones where I acknowledge the the legacy it's had and certainly how important it was for me as a gamer to help me make that transition from playing like simpler games, platformers and stuff like that into much more serious and grown-up games and realizing the capacity uh, video games have to tell a story like that and kind of the, how in some ways, how video games have an advantage over like television and movies at kind of making you feel like you're part of this incredibly dark um, and at times horrifying story of, of Max Payne's very grim life by the fact that you're kind of, you have to consciously be there and interact with this rather than kind of be passively watching it. Uh, it is kind of, it was, um, yeah, it's a very important game at the time and um, part, partly probably, it's partly because of that, because of how influential the game is and how important the game is to a lot of people that may have uh, upset a lot of people when the third one deviates from the script, shall we say. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like we should also just briefly mention the <laughs> film. Oh, here comes the rain, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Aptly, aptly timed. Um, yes. Yeah, so there was a film, um, and it wasn't very good. And Starring Marky Mark. Starring our good friend Marky Mark. And I feel it was just... I was more disappointed by this than most other video game adaptation to film adaptations. Uh, because it was one that I thought had the most potential. You know? Because yeah. it's based... You would think as well, considering the timing, in a post-Sin uh, City world, that they could just follow that template. And it would at least have been a half-decent film. 
not even just that, it's the fact that the game is so heavily based off of a, a collection of films that they could just kind of extrapolate that and just twist it a little bit and, and, and do that. And for about the first 15 minutes, they actually do do that with the film. Um, and they take the, the, the feel and the the just tonality of Max Payne and they actually bring it to the big screen. Um, but then you quickly realise that both the director and Mark Wahlberg have no interest in what Max Payne is um, and Mark Wahlberg himself made it quite clear that he never played the games, he had no interest in what the games were and yeah, that pretty much meant that there was no fucking chance of it being any good and um, yeah, it's it's a shame um, Yeah, but it's it it's it's interesting to watch about the first 20 minutes and then realise just how quickly it drops off the side of the earth. Um, so any, I suppose, because we're kind of run, run away over time here, uh, any sort of uh, final thoughts on uh, Max Payne? It's one of those games, like you said, it's um, not necessarily one of those Desert Island discs type games, um, but I still feel it's pretty pivotal. Uh, it did come along at a time where that explosion with games was really happening and you had stuff like MGS2 was coming out around this time as well um, and there was that transition from that awkward early 3D phase where we was moving into the PS2 and the GameCube and developers were really finding themselves and were really finding ways to tell stories in game itself um, and with the comic, comic books as well uh, the comic book uh storyboard type setting and it's I feel it was actually a lot more influential than some people may give it credit for um, and I really like the way that they tied things up at the end of Max Payne 3 and I was really disappointed that a lot of people didn't like Max Payne 3 and I've got a good friend of mine who really didn't like Max Payne 3 um, but it's it's a really good series the first one, the second one, the fall of Max Payne and the third one, the rule. It's a really nice package there that I hope that somewhere down the line, because fucking every trilogy series is being packaged in some form or fashion, hopefully we might get this at some point, um, because it's something that I would definitely pick up, and it would definitely be worth picking up, because there's a lot of fun to be had for them. Excellent. So that is uh, available on PS2, for those of you with a PS2 still kicking around. Uh, was it ever uh, released, kind of a, uh, a port for the PS3, do you know? Uh, there. <laughs> so it's actually it's on Windows, PS2, Xbox. Uh, it's also was released for the Game Boy Advance. Amazing. And <laughs> iOS, and it's on Android. Android. Yeah. That's incredible. I'd like to see what the Game Boy Advance version of it looks like. Uh, I'm just trying to see. Uh, so we got yeah, we got yeah there was no PS3 port like they kind of um, at the start early in the PS3's uh, life cycle there was a lot of uh, shabby ports of PS2 games being brought across I think it I'm pretty sure it is on the network uh, I'm, pre I'm pretty sure you can download it off of the store um, according to Wikipedia anyway it doesn't seem to be yeah PSN uh, 1st of May 2012 2nd of oh, May 2012 yeah huh. there you go and it's on Xbox Live cool uh, so you can check that out, or if you kind of uh, you want to experience it as it was uh, originally intended, you can pick up uh, your PS2 and have a go at that. 
Um, so I think that uh, leaves us with the final uh, bit of business for today, and that's to my uh, choice of game for next week, Mark. What do you have for me? Are you sitting on the edge of your seat? Um, I'm here. I can taste it. Taste it. The, the electricity in the air. I have two words, my friend. Um... This, this isn't a guessing game. This isn't a guessing game. I'm just, it, was, okay. it was a dramatic pause, dramatic <laughs> pause. Because we could be here all day on an already overly long podcast. But two words, my friend. Metal Gear. Just Metal Gear? Ready? No, Metal Gear Solid. Okay. The, uh, the first one for PlayStation 1. Okay. So... Metal Gear Solid will be our game for next week. Cool. I look forward to ripping it to pieces. <laughs> you're, I, I've heard you're not a fan. We will discuss for next time, because that would be a very <laughs> simplistic way of expressing my thoughts on Metal Gear Solid, and Metal this, Gear as a whole. This will turn into the kind of the, the opposite version of my... Uh, when you were doing Bioshock and I was preferring Bioshock Infinite. This will be your turn to kind of take me apart. We'll leave it for next time. Yeah, I'll, I'll hopefully uh, get some sort of assistance uh, helping out. Uh, we, we have something hopefully in the pipeline for that. Um, yeah, yeah so, anyway, uh, so is... I'll, leave, I'll leave it to you to wrap, thing up, wrap things up, do the plugs or whatever. Yeah, so for plugs, uh, if you haven't already at any point, we have our YouTube channel and Twitch channel for Link to the Cast. Um, I'm actually going to do probably start doing a couple of runs on Binding of Isaac because I'm getting pretty good at it now and I can do a full run of it in about 40 minutes or so um, so I'm probably going to do a couple of them for anyone who's never played it oh, just for me to be a self-indulgent prick about it um, I know Dave has been doing some bits and pieces with Minecraft and he'll probably be doing some other stuff so yeah we'll just post them up plan, to do, plan to do a couple of streams this week uh, and then eventually on the 4th of August when Rare Replay comes out I'm going to do some uh, maybe I'll stream my first impressions of Conqueror's Bad Fur Day I would very much look forward to that and hopefully we'll try and do some Rocket League at some point. Uh, yes. We've got the Twitters and all the other stuff. It's fucking social... If you know what social media is, we're on there somewhere or another. All right? So yeah, just... I'm, I'm hopefully going to because it is kind of hard to uh, find our YouTube channel uh, until we reach a certain threshold of views and then we're able to name the channel whenever we want. Um, until then, uh, this week at some point, I'll put up a post with some of our uh, YouTube videos so far so you can... Uh, add the channel, follow the channel, bookmark the channel, whatever you want to do with the YouTube channel so that you can see our streams uh, that are archived from our Twitch account, which is twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast. Uh, or twitter.com slash link to the cast and facebook.com slash link to the cast. And you should do it because we're really, really nice. Yes, and we're obviously linked to the cast uh, dot wordpress.com. And we are. We are linked to that cast and you should be linked to that cast as well but until next time where we will discuss Metal Gear Solid and all the other news and games we've been playing for that week I've been Mark Robinson that has been Dave Ryan bye bye <laughs>